Thank you for downloading this podcast from Bromley Town Church. We pray this message will refresh and encourage you. For further information about Bromley Town Church, you can go to our website, www.bromleytownchurch.com. Um, this is going to be quite a, a unique talk, I suppose, um, because I am, I am delivering a sermon, but at the same time, I wanna, I'm hoping to, to bring some information um, and to share with you about um, something that God has been laying on my heart for a while um, and, and something I, I hope and pray that you can really catch a hold of as well. Um, I'm hoping to just share my heart and, and praying that, uh, that you can just yeah, grab a hold of it. Um, at the heart of who we are, at the heart of what we were made to be, is to be, is to be worshippers. It's to praise God, and, and I, I thank God that, that this, even this morning as we came before him and we worshipped and we, we laid our hearts before him, that, that God's spirit came amongst us, and that's, clearly that's the desire every time we come to church, every time we gather, we desire not only to, to bring our praise and to bring our worship, but that we can just join uh, in the praises of God, for that's, that's what we are made for, it's what we are made for, and it's not just praise, it's not just worship and singing songs, it's that our hearts are made to, to be before him, to be worshippers, to love him in all that we do. Um, Isaiah's clear in, in, in 43, Isaiah 43, in terms of just sharing exactly what our created purpose is. It just says, I, ha- I have called you by name and you are mine. And in verse 7 it says, Bring all who claim me as their God, for I have made them for my glory. It was I who created them. Each and every one of us were made by God for his glory. We have each been called by name to worship him. And that's at the heart, that's central to all that we should do. It's the core of who we are. We must worship him. That's what he formed us for. We must delight in him. We must join in all that he is. You know, we, we hear of, of God when he formed us, when he made us. He didn't need us to love him. He didn't create us because he wanted extra people to love him. He created us because he, he wanted us to enjoy the wonder and the glory of, uh, of that, that communion between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And that love and that wonder and that glory that is felt amongst those people, uh, amongst the, you know, the, the deity, amongst God himself, he wanted us to join in that and to experience that and to, to have our hearts overwhelmed by that. And, and, and when we give him glory, when we worship him, it's when we join in. It's when we take that place. And, it, and it's about, I suppose, the, the, the deepest calling, the, the heart of who we are made to be. We are made to worship. We are made to praise. We are made to exalt. We are made for his glory. And it's, and it's about justice, it's about mercy, and it's about faithfulness at the, at the heart of joining in who God is. And, and if we're to get the central things right, everything else flows beyond that. If we're to get the heart of what it means to love God and to bring him glory right, everything flows on, everything continues. In, in Matthew 23, Jesus is... Jesus is uh, kind of talking to, to the religious leaders and the Pharisees, and he's rebuking them, he's criticizing them. And there's one particular thing he says to them, uh, 23, verse 23, I believe, yes. 
What sorrow awaits you teachers of religious, of religious law and you Pharisees? Hypocrites. For you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore the most important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. At the heart of who we are, the central thing, the most important thing, is worship, is praise. It's, it's to bring glory to God in all that we do. And, and, and glory to God could be, you know, could be summed up in those three things, justice, mercy, faithfulness. It's putting God first. It's putting our lives right. And there are many good things that we can do. There are many good things that we are called to do. But let's put what's right at the heart of what it means to be saved, right in the centre. Our primary function is worship. Our primary function is to, to give ourselves in worship and in praise and to reflect it. Our primary function is to put what's first first, and that's our love for him. And it's to declare, Lord, I am here for you. I am here to worship you. I'm here to glorify you. In Matthew 10, Jesus is talking to his, um, I think he's just talking to his disciples, I believe so. I think he's just talking to his, the apostles. And he says, if you love your father or mother more than you love me, you are not worthy of being mine. Or if you love your son or daughter more than me, you are not worthy of being mine. If you refuse to take up your cross and follow me, you are not worthy of being mine. If you cling to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you will find it. Now, loving your father and mother is a good thing. And even loving your son and your daughter, that's also a good thing to be doing. But Jesus is clear. I come first. I come first, is what he's saying. You need to take up a cross and follow me. In everything, we were made. We were made for his glory. We were made to worship him. We were made to give off all of our hearts. And, and if we are to do that, we must look at our hearts. And it would be right to say, if you look at our hearts, there's something that's that so often hard or, or numb within us. And we must say, God, where at the heart of my life, where I don't bring you worship, where I don't bring you glory, would you change it? Because it's from the heart that all things flow. It's from deep, our innermost being where these things flow. And the cry is, Lord, have mercy upon my heart. Give me a heart that adores you. Give me a heart that worships you. Give me a heart that is, is kind and loving and giving. A heart that constantly says, I am yours. A heart that says, I belong to you. Because the calling at the heart of who we are is to please God. It's to worship him and to please him. 1 Peter 2.5 says about us, you are living stones that God is building into his temple. What's more, you are his holy priests. Through the mediation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifice that please God. 
We are made for God's glory. We have been called into that position because of what Christ has done for us, our mediator, our redeemer. He has brought us into a place where we offer ourselves. And we offer ourselves in worship. We offer ourselves to bring, uh, to bring our praise. And we offer ourselves that we might please him. And that's the calling over all of us. Each and every one of us has that calling. You are to join in into the worship of our Father in heaven. You are made for his glory. And that's real for me and that's real for you. And I'm, and I'm sharing this early on, um, just as, as the bedrock, as, as the heart of, of what I hope to flow through what I want to bring to you this morning. This is central to who we are. Let me just grab a drink. Um, this morning's talk is, is about uh, my calling. It's about where God has called me to bear fruit. Um, but I'm hoping that, that you each can catch hold of it and consider it for your own lives. So um, I have given my sermon a title, um, which is helpful, I believe. It's Calling and the Battle for Fruitfulness. Calling and the Battle for Fruitfulness. And I pray that, that at the heart of this, you, you will begin to understand where your calling is, knowing that at the heart of that, we're, we're just made to worship him. But also, you'll see where your greatest battle is and, and where the battle needs to be fought and won. Um, well, I mean, the most famous passage that talks about fruitfulness is, is John 15. And towards the end of John, in, in verse 16, in that section that's about fruitfulness, it says, you didn't choose me, I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. I'm going to read that again. You didn't choose me, I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. All of us that are saved, and all of us, and all of, all of us, even if you're, you're not saved, God calls you. God calls you because he desires you to live out the life that he's called you to. And that is a life of bearing fruit, fruit that remains, fruit that lasts, that we can have faith and believe in what God uh, in what God has called us to do. And, and where you bear fruit in your life is doing the things that God desires of you. Okay? That is what fruitfulness is. It's doing those things that God has called you to do and he desires of you. Okay? Um, and it's fruit more than anything else, that pleases God. It is fruit that delights God. And when God looks at our lives, you know, his love for us is unchanging. His love remains and is everlasting. But we bring joy and pleasure to God when we bear fruit for his kingdom. And it's producing fruit that glorifies God, that increases who God is in, uh, upon earth. And, and people can see and hear and know that God is great. And when we bear fruit, well, we delight in him. 
And it's our primary function. At the heart of who we are made to be, it is to bear fruit. It is to be fruit bearers. And, and it's once we've been set free by God, once we, you know, by God's grace, we are flowing in him and by his spirit, we can do these things. It's what he makes us for. He calls us and appoints us to bear fruit for him. And it's exactly where the, tru- the truest and, I suppose, the deepest battle lies for our lives. Um, it is in bearing fruit. If we consider, like, the, the enemy and his primary function is to diminish God's glory. The enemy seeks to, to, to cause the kingdom of God to be diminished. And, he fights to pre- and in order to do that, he fights to present, prevent each one of us from bearing fruit. He desires that we would not please God. He desires to render each of us fruitless. And that is where our major battle lies. The enemy comes in many guises with different schemes. Um, and it is a battle against the darkness. But where he seeks, the reason why he comes against us in different ways, it's, it's to cause us uh, uh, to be a fruitless people. But God has called us that we would bear fruit. And this is the exact place where we have the responsibility and I suppose the, the desire to, to cry out, and God, God, make me a fruitful person because I want to see your kingdom come. I want to see your glory revealed. I want to see your glory increase and I want to please you. Um, I'm going to return to fruit and I'm going to return to, to what it means for us to battle for it. But first, I just, this is where I just want to share some of the testimony. Um, uh, last week, those of you that were here, we, were, we had a fundraiser. I want to thank you. Um, we raised over £750, which is amazing. We can praise God for that. And, and that goes towards the work of the Haiti Hospital Appeal, a work that I've been involved in um, for, for over six years now, um, which is good. I, I first went out to Haiti... Um, as quite fresh from university. Um, I think I first heard about Haiti when I was 21 and I went out when I was 22. Um, and we went because we'd heard some of the, the real problems in healthcare. Um, we'd heard some of the, uh, the desperate need, but, but we didn't know much. And myself and my friend Carwin, together, we've... <coughs> We'd both studied drama at university. Um, we'd, we didn't really know what life was going to hold for us, but we did know that, that God had a calling for us in the same way that he has a calling for all of us. And I do remember with him, there were times when we were at university together. And, you know, on the whole, they were not great years um, in, uh, you know, an up-and-down sort of lifestyle at, at university. But there were times where together we, we sought after God. And there were times where we just prayed quite simply, God, we, we, we seek more of you. We want to do things for your glory and your kingdom. We want to, we don't know what that holds, but there was, a, there was a genuine desire. God, you can use us. You can use us. And there was, within our hearts, there was, a, there was like a fire. And at times when we, we came before God and we prayed together, there, was a, you know, there are greater things that we can do. We had no idea what that might be, but those were heartfelt and, and sincere prayers. Um, and when I went to Haiti in 2005, we saw some of the brokenness. We experienced um, you know, some of the hopelessness. 
And, and our only response could be, we want to do something in this land. And that's why we started the charity, the Haiti Hospital Appeal. That's why we uh, wanted to, to do something practical. And it felt very much like this was something that God had called us to do. And, and it had to be that, because we certainly didn't think we could do it ourselves. As I said, we both studied drama. We didn't know anything about medicine or construction. We didn't know anything about development at that point at all. Um, but the calling was there. And, and that's the most important thing, I suppose. Um, so, so God brought us back. And um, our time in Haiti was, was tough. We experienced uh, death. We, we, we saw people dying unnecessarily. We, we heard more stories of the brokenness. And in fact, it was quite a surreal time. Um, we had been to places of, of poverty before, but there was just a, a despair and even like a, a, a darkness that lingered over the land that we, that we encountered. And, and we, certainly, we certainly didn't have a great understanding of the spiritual realm and, um, and, and still don't really, but we knew that there was a, this was a place where darkness reigns. This is a place where there's great darkness. And in our heart, there was just like, well, we, we want to start meeting people's needs. And that's why we started this project to build a hospital. And, and it was a slow process. I'm not focusing too much on the project today, but that's been growing and, and God has blessed it. Um, and we would go to places. I'd go to different schools and churches and share about Haiti. And the majority of the time, people were like, I don't know where Haiti is. Um, we don't know much about this little nation. Um, and, that was, and that kind of changed in, um, in 2010 when the earthquake happened. And... Um, for me, uh, if I, I, I was, well, when the earthquake happened, was a, a distinct time. Um, on the day the, uh, um, when the, the earthquake struck was the day that I flew to Uganda and kind of touched down in Uganda back in 2010 um, for um, a conference, AfriCamp conference that, that some, uh, a few of you have been to before. And it felt very clear. Um, Carwin and his wife were in Haiti. Um, and they were involved very early in taking um, resources and aid down to the capital city. Um, and our team in the UK, the trustees, the board, uh, were very much immersed in fundraising immediately, immersed in, in media opportunities to share about our project and, and right within that. But I um, was in Uganda, and, and early on I was like, what am I doing in, in Uganda when... I've been called to Haiti, and, and there's this project that I'm involved in. What am I doing all the way over here? Um, and I believe and I know that it was God's plan. This is where God wanted me to be. The, uh, the title of uh, the conference was called How to Become a Carrier of Revival. And uh, I, just, I just knew that, that God wanted to show me something. God wanted to speak something uh, deep within me, and God wanted to prepare me for something. And, and while um, we went to Haiti that first time in 2005, and we got involved in this work, it was actually those four, uh, four and a bit years later where I realized, no, God has called me personally to that land. And, and, and it was that time. And, and the earthquake was you know, a horrible tragedy. 
um, and in the midst of, of a, so much pain and suffering, uh, I know that God was speaking to people and God spoke to me very clearly. God spoke to me about the spiritual um, health of a land um, reflects the health of a church. And we heard different stories of different churches around the world and particularly, you know, how the church is before God determines whether the land is walking right before God. And you, you can look at our own nation and you can look at the moral decline, you can look at some of the brokenness in our society. And I firmly believe that a church that is walking true to the gospel, we would see our land changed. And, and God showed me that it, it was the same in, this, in, in Ethiopia with, with some testimony that God brought um, while I was at Africamp. But he also showed me that you know, Haiti um, and the darkness there, um, there are deep spiritual problems in that land. And it's the church that determines the spiritual health of a land. Um, and if you imagine that that the hospital that we've been building for a long time clearly was to meet a physical need. When people are sick, they come to the hospital and we can give them healthcare. We can, uh, we can make them well again. We can do these things. But what I began to understand was that people would come to the hospital, they would experience something of God. They would experience love. They would experience something of his heart as people uh, take care of them and take care of their needs. But then they go straight back to the place that they come from. And, and Haiti is a land that's gripped in, in darkness, gripped in poverty. And I realised that we're bringing, by building a hospital, and I believe it was, this is right, this is what we were called to do, we're bringing a physical answer to meet a physical need. But the, the reason of that physical need is the spiritual brokenness of that land. And so God was showing me that in order to, to change this land, We've got to deal with the spiritual brokenness. We've got to deal with the, the spiritual uh, giants of that land. And, and that's real for Haiti. Um, and I suppose because we're involved in this, this act of building a hospital, and, and it's always, always been an act that we felt was a prophetic thing. We're building a hospital because we want to build the kingdom of God. We're building a hospital because we want to change the health of a nation. We're building a hospital because we want to see people receive the justice that they deserve and that they need. And at the heart of what we're doing, the cry was always like, we want to build God's kingdom. We want to do something. And, and we, we, we started with this physical response and we were trusting that God was going to keep working us and, and changing us. And, the, and really, what God has shown me is that we must deal with the spiritual darkness in that land. That there, are, there is great deception over the church, there is hopelessness, there is poverty, and, and God has given, has given us an entry point. And I'm so thankful for what, for what God has done. He, he first brought us to this place, build, build a hospital. And, and as we've started that work, not really knowing what we were doing, stepping out in faith, God has begun to show us, okay, this is what I need you to do. This is the next stage. This is the next step. And I'm grateful for this time because God has continued to speak. God has continued to call. God has continued to show us the way forward. And we come to a place now where it's like, God, you have called us to do more than build a hospital. You've called us to change and to, and to shape uh, a land and you've called us to birth something new and, and, 
And I'm, I'm, I'm so thankful that God has brought us. And this is his plan. This is his way. But he's brought us to a place now. It's time to go in. This is an entry point. And it's time to go in and change that land. In, in Numbers 13, there's the story. And if you have your Bibles, please turn to Numbers 13. There's a story of the people of Israel and they've come out of Egypt. God has delivered them out of Egypt. He's delivered them the, the Ten Commandments, the law, and there's been a lot, people have heard the law, and then there's this, this place. They've come down from the mountain of Sinai and in this place, and, and Moses takes one man from each tribe and he sends them to spy out what was that land that was covenanted to them, the promised land. This is the place that they, they've been called to go to. And, um, and there's one man from each tribe that had been sent in. And they came back with a report. And they came to say, um, yes, the land is good. It is flowing with milk and honey. And... I see many similarities with, with the work in Haiti. And, and while Haiti isn't necessarily a place that I'd immediately say it's a place flowing with milk and honey, in fact, I'd say it, it's not that at all. But there is, there is still beauty. And, and more than anything, the beauty comes in the people. The people that were made for God's glory. The the brokenness and the hopelessness is, is so deep. But we have to believe that there is a God that has made these people and he's made that, that land for his glory. And, and my desire is to see that land transformed and changed. And I believe it can be a land that flows with milk and honey it's hard to see at times. And in, in Numbers 13, once all these people come back um, from exploring, they, they bring a report. And uh, we just read from verse 26 of chapter 13. It says, They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. They grabbed a vine and they brought it to them. Um, 28. But the people who live there are, a powerful, are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev. The Hittites, Jebusites, Amorites live in the hill country. And the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of the land, for we certainly can do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there, the descendants of Anak, come from the Nephilim. 
We seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes and we look the same to them. The, the people of Israel, and, and there's, there's Caleb and Joshua who come back with a different report. Um, the other ten spies come back with this, uh, this scary message um, that brought fear to the people. Um, when I think of Haiti, um, I see some of the giants of, of the land. Um, and in the same way that there's fear of the darkness, I can easily understand why there'd be fear in the land of Haiti. To try and give you a little bit of context, Haiti um, is the only um, nation that had a slave rebellion that overthrew its colonial leaders, and that's over 200 years ago. So it was an independent black state in the Caribbean way before any other nation was granted independence. So it's quite unique in that. Um, but I'd say legend has it, because um, it's unconfirmed, that there was, there was a, a time and a place where they made a spiritual pact with the enemy. And they declared that they would serve the enemy and they made a covenant, even sacrifice, human sacrifice, to say, um, if you give us um, victory over our rulers, we will, we will live for you. We will commit this land to you. And actually, um, I've heard even in the history of this island, which is connected with the Dominican Republic, um, that the, the Dominican side, when, when a king ruled over the whole land, he, he gave the Dominican side to God, and he gave the Haitian side to the devil. And, and even the reports are, and I've spoken to, to Christians in Haiti, that, that only in 2004, then-president um, recommitted that covenant over the land. And it involved human sacrifice. And they... Uh, declared that the land belonged to the enemy. Haiti is a land that is broken. When you look at the land, there is a people that have continued to spill blood. They are a violent people. Only about six months after that, that recovenanting of the land, there was, a, there was a military coup and there was an uprising of one group um, to fight. And it, it, there is violence, and it was a, it was a civil war. And since, uh, like uh, the coup and the and the president was was taken off of his rule, um, they've they've had a, the UN peacekeeping out there ever since that time. But it's a place of of much spilt blood. It's a place of violence, but it's a place of deep poverty, poverty that that people don't understand. Um, Poverty that, that no other nation surrounding it has. Um, there's, there's a great exodus of people. Anyone with skills on the whole leaves the land. They reject that land and they go to America, they go to France, they go to other places where they can earn a living. And people, that, you know, the greatest desire of a Haitian person is, how can I leave this place? There's corruption on every sphere of society. There is 
infertility in the ground, it's hard to grow anything. There's widespread witchcraft. Haiti is called the capital of voodoo. And, and while people say that 60, 70% of the nation are Catholic and, and, and 25% are, are Protestant and some of which are evangelical, they say 95% of Haitians practice in, in witchcraft and voodoo. Haiti is a land that is broken, of deep darkness. And you, you see the giants of that land it could be very easy to say, I can't see how the breakthrough is going to come. But you look at Caleb. He says, we should go up and take possession of the land, for we, certainly, for we can certainly do it. Did Caleb see what the, other, what the other spies saw? I believe he did. I don't believe he had blind faith. I believe he saw the giants. He saw the Amalekites. He saw those descended from the Nephilim. He saw these people. He probably too felt like a grasshopper. But he carried faith into into that situation. He knew who his God was. He saw the darkness. He saw the brokenness. He saw the need. He also saw how great and awesome his God was. We know that clearly the Israelites experienced that too. They had they'd experienced the, the coming out of Egypt. They'd experienced awesome, amazing things that God had done. Opening up the Red Sea. And, and when I think about Haiti, I recognise and I can see the darkness. And that could overwhelm. But with every giant that we may face, we, we must know who our God is. And our God is able. While Haiti may be just a land locked, and it feels locked in spiritual darkness, our God holds the keys. Our God has the ability to open it. And Haiti is the place that God is calling me to go to, to bear fruit. And my calling is to be obedient to that. Um, a few, a little while ago, we were um, sharing about uh, a vision meeting, our desire to be a true and distinct church. Um, hang on. And, and what that looked like, uh, what that meant. And a true church, I believe, must be connected into the, the specific purpose that God has placed upon a nation. Um, there's, there's a technical word for this. They would call it the redemptive destiny of the land. And that's the... Uh, the calling over that land to fulfill what God um, has called them to do. And it's, it will always be an act of redemption. It will always be an act of doing something that is going to build God's kingdom, that's going to bring God's kingdom. And it can be specific over churches, 
And I believe there are some specific things over us as a church uh, that may be different from Cornerstone down the road. But it's also different for towns and places over Bromley, but also over nations. And the true church, the distinct church, will walk in its anointing uh, that's over the nation uh, to, which, to which it belongs. And um, I haven't got time really to, to go deeply into you know, what our redemptive destiny is. In fact, I don't feel it's been fully revealed to me or anything. But the simple thing is just looking at what uh, our, our history is as a land. And we have a rich history as a people of taking the gospel. We have a rich history of bringing justice and taking the message of Christ across the world. And in doing so, you know, I'm not saying that uh, when you know, it comes alongside uh, colonialism, it doesn't mean that we did everything right. It doesn't mean that we did everything justly. But uh, God used that in order to send missionaries, to send followers of Christ into lands that perhaps before would have been impossible for them to go into, to declare Christ, to build his kingdom, to bring social justice, and to even establish democracy uh, in places where there was none. And, and this is tapping into what our redemptive destiny as a people. And if we as a church and as a people are to walk in our destiny, we must too also connect into that anointing that is over a nation and over a land. And I think this is at the heart. And perhaps as we are changing as a, as a people, uh, as a church, as God is, is continuing to shape us and to work in each of our lives as a corporate body, he also will, will want to see us reflect that redemptive destiny that he has, uh, he has given to our nation. And that perhaps is not something that, as a church, we have been carrying before, but it is a, something that I believe, as a church, we must carry. And, and that's why, while I'm sharing about this is what God's calling me to do, um, I also believe it's what he's calling us to do. Because it's not just about me, it's about all of us. And the distinct church, the true church, is one that reflects God's destiny for our nation and, and the calling to disciple nations and the need to walk in the Great Commission. And my, at the heart of what I want to say to you today is um, I can't go without you. I need you to walk with me. Because this is a calling over God's church. We are a people that's got to go. And while there's specific things over each of us to do, you must come with me. And that doesn't mean you've got to come physically. It means that you've got to carry the mantle together. The heart of, of numbers and what, what Caleb brought back and what Joshua said, you see in chapter 14 that the people believed the false report or the report that was full of fear. It says that they, um, at the beginning of chapter 14, that night all the people of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled 
against Moses and Aaron. And the whole assembly said to them, If only we had died in Egypt or in this desert, why is the Lord bringing us into this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. And then Moses and Aaron uh, call upon God and, and they, it says Joshua and Caleb are with them. And I love what it says here, what their response. They said, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and, he, and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord, and do not be afraid of the people of the land, because we will swallow them up. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. Where the people had no faith, where the people um, just saw the giants, they rebelled and they rejected God and they sought another leader and they turned from their purpose, they turned from their destiny and they decided, let's just remain and, uh, and even let's go back to where we were comfortable. Let's go back and, uh, to where we were, we were you know, oppressed, but that, that was where their safety was. And uh, I suppose it's the same, it's the same for, for us. If you're not with me, I can't go. If you're not with me, and we can't stand in this together, um, I, can't, I can't go. And I know that God is able, but I need to know that the people I stand with are with me. And I know that my God is with me. I know my God is mighty and sovereign, but he's called us as a body to carry. And I say these things knowing that there are people that do stand with me. And I also say these things knowing that having chatted with Jonathan and others, um, they, are, they are with me. Um, I'm not saying this without them understanding what I'm going to bring to you today. But my, my, the ask is that we as a people, as a body, are together in this. Because the time is now. When, when God calls you to things um, and you don't do it, that, that season, that time can pass without you having done, without you having actually bore the fruit that God called you to bear. And the time for Haiti is, is now. I mean, since 2010, um, there's been a door that has been opened, I believe, to that land. And while there are missionaries going into Haiti every day. Um, Haiti is said as to be, there are more missionaries per person than any other land. Um, and they're going in, and I, I believe that they're, they're, they're doing what they think is right. They're going into a village, uh, they're running a crusade, or they're going to a place, they're building a house for someone. They're doing lots of good things, and I don't want to put that down. But there is a need to deal with the spiritual darkness of that land. And there is a need to go in and to destroy the enemy, to plunder his camp, to plunder the gates of hell, to break the darkness 
and to tear down altars and to destroy strongholds. Much of what the Israelites were called to do as they went into that land was to destroy the people, but to destroy the altars. And Haiti is a land of altars. It's a land where many give themselves um, to the spirits of darkness, very obviously in, in voodoo. But they also give themselves to many other things. And actually, in my heart, I feel that uh, the Christianity that is being brought in from the West, with all these missionaries going in, is also just bringing in material ideologies and, and westernized ideologies that are only going to continue to keep them locked in brokenness because that is just bringing the strongholds of our nation or the US into Haiti. And while they're trying to bring a, a gospel as well, I don't believe that's the gospel that's really going to set them free. The gospel that's going to set them free is a gospel that goes into the darkness to see the breakthrough. I was kind of meditating about this and I was thinking about, about Christ and how Jesus, as he walked the road of Calvary, he knew where he was going. He knew that as he carried that cross, where he was going, he was going to the place where he would carry the sin of the world upon his shoulders. He knew that he was going to encounter the, the anguish and the turmoil and the pain and the suffering. He knew he was going to take upon himself the curses of all the world. Our sin, my sin, he took it. And in that willing obedience, he laid down his life. Jesus had to go into the darkness to break it. He had to go in in order to see it destroyed. He had to go in in order to conquer the power of the grave. And I think it's real for all of God's disciples. They have to go into the places to see the breakthrough. You can look at Caleb and his, his faith. He knew he was going in. He was going in amongst those giants to overcome, and he knew his God was with him. If you think of even Jonah, who ran away, who ran away because he knew what was before him. And when he finally did go, God was with him. He went into the darkness in order to share this word. And it's the same even, even for Paul. Think of the time where he was going to Jerusalem knowing, knowing that he, it was going to cost him his life. And while he didn't end up dying in Jerusalem, he went in knowing he was going into darkness, going into the brokenness, going in in order to see the real breakthrough. And this is the heart of what it means to be an intercessor. This is the heart of what it means to be one that stands in the gap and, and what Jesus did for us. He took our pain. He took our debt. The heart of the Haiti Hospital Appeal um, very early on was this kind of like catchphrase that we, we carried. It was called, 
to share and to suffer. And that basically was the, the full meaning of what it means to show compassion to someone. Showing compassion isn't just from a long while away giving some money. That's just giving to charity. To actually show compassion, you get into the dirt and the mess and you share with them and you suffer with them to see the breakthrough and to see the change. And I know that the calling is different for each of us, but the calling is real for all of us, that God is looking for people that will bear fruit for him. He's looking for people who will take their stand for him. He was calling for people who will overcome and fight. In Ezekiel 22, it says, I looked for a man among them who would build up the wall and stand before me in the gap on behalf of the land so I would not destroy it, but I found none. And I think of Haiti and I think of the the darkness and I think of even the destruction. We know that when Christ returns, there will be destruction. There will be an outpouring of wrath and many lives will be lost. And I think, when I think about the earthquake and people talk about, you know, in, in, the, in the birth pangs of the end times, there are earthquakes. Um, and I... And for me, it's, it's pointing towards Christ is coming back. And I believe at the moment, Haiti is a land where that is not walking in God's purposes, that is not walking in its own redemptive destiny. I believe it's a land that does not stand much chance of freedom or, or life on the day of Christ's return. There is, there is a, there's a gap that is here now, and the time to go in is now. Otherwise, the nation may well be destroyed. There are people that need saving. It's very relevant for me where it says God's looking for one that will stand in the gap. But God is looking to us all who will stand in the gap, who will fight for my kingdom, who will live for my glory, who will increase my glory in this land. And, and this is at the heart of the battle for fruitfulness. And this is where it's relevant for all of us. Because God is looking for people who will do the things that he designated, even appointed us to do. God is looking for those who seek to give themselves to glorify him to please him and to serve him. And he calls and appoints each and every one of us into that position. And, and we take our stand, I suppose, against the enemy. Am I going to allow Haiti just to stay on the current path it is on? Or am I going to go and just seek God for that land. And it's the same for our land. It's the same for Bromley. It's the same for your family members. Are we going to stand back and watch or are we going to take our position? The battle for Haiti is very real 
I was in Uganda again in January, and this is, this is going to be particularly hard for me to share, so I had bear with me. Um, on our return, this little girl called Grace uh, died. Many of you will have seen Grace. She's on the front of one of our leaflets at the back. Um, and Grace was a symbol of the hope that we carried. And it felt very much like the enemy just stepped in and, and took something of the hope. Something of, of everything that our project stood for was in this little girl. And it felt like the enemy just stole her away. And it just, more than anything, it just showed me that our only hope is Christ. The only thing we have is Jesus. In the midst of the depth of suffering that people go through, Jesus is the only one. He is the only way, the only place where you can find hope. In Haiti, it feels like the enemy has a has a, a even a freer reign to, to to render people hopeless and broken and in despair. And in Grace, and Grace was someone that Carwin and his wife Reninka were legal guardians of. Um, and she, she had a foster mum, someone just so dear to our hearts. And in the midst of that darkness, it's almost as if the enemy could strike wherever it hurt most. The battle is real. The enemy seeks to render us fruitless. The enemy seeks to destroy God's glory and to diminish it. Will we allow him to do that? Or will we take our stand? I was reading Matthew last week. In Matthew 21, it talks about the parable of the two sons. And I just want to focus on one other son. I mean, it's, it's simple. A father says to his one son, will you go to the garden and do some work? And he says, yes. And then he doesn't do it. And then to the other son, he says, will you go? And the son says, no. But then he ends up doing it. I want to focus on the first son and just be clear with you. What has God called you to do? We must do it. We have to do it. Because it pleases God, firstly. Because it brings glory to his name but also because there's a, there's a garden out there that needs, needs work on. And if you look at creation, we look at nations, if we look at our nation, if you look at your family, there are people that we must go to. One, having Grace having passed away, one of the verses that God had been speaking to me quite deeply on, even with some other people that passed away, um, since I've been back in the UK, since January, and it's, it's that verse that says, the enemy comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy, but I have come to give you life, 
and life to the full. And we must be aware of the enemy's schemes and what the enemy seeks to do. But we also must recognise that the full life, the life that Jesus wants to give us, is that fruitful life. That's the life that he calls us into. So what does the battle for fruitfulness actually look like? Well, there are, a few th- there are three short things I want to share with you. The first of which connects to this, this picture of Christ carrying that cross to Calvary, knowing where he was going. You know, it's, it's that William Booth statement that Colin shared with us earlier. It's in our surrender. It's the denying self, picking up a cross and following him, following Jesus. That, that's what it means to be a disciple. And when I think of that moment where Jesus carried a cross, knowing where he was going, we each have to recognise that if we are to bear fruit, we have to go into that battle. We have to be willing and obedient to go up against the darkness. That carrying the armour of God, we take our stand. We each have to carry a cross daily. So number one is that, that surrender. Number two is, is to remain. And we know in John 15, it, when it talks about bearing fruit, it says, remain in me and I'll remain in you. And you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And this is about our position before God. And this is, if we are to, to be a fruitful people, we must remain in, in him. Remain in a position of surrender and a position of trust, and a position of, of knowing that, that God is with us. I love in, in, in Timothy where it talks about warfare, and it says, I, I can't remember exactly what it says, but it says, we can't waste our time on civilian affairs when there's a battle at hand. A, you know, a, a soldier in the army isn't focused on civilian, civilian affairs. They're focused on the battle at hand, the war that they are in. If we're to be a fruitful people, our eyes must be focused on that battle that we are in. And, it, and to do that, we must be in this position of remaining in him. It is only in Christ that we can carry these things. It is only in Christ that we can walk in that freedom. The third thing is that priest position. I share from 2 Peter, um, we are made to glorify God and to minister before him, to please him, and to worship him. We've been set apart for him, and we belong to him. And it's that declaration, God, your will be done, not mine. It's following Jesus in his act of surrender. The time is now. The time for Haiti is now. The time for your family is now. The time for our nation, for Bromley. The time is now. 
when we minister before God, when we, we give ourselves to worship, to glorify him, it is then that he shares his heart and reveals what he wants to do. Hosea 10, verse 12, is something that I really want us to take away from this morning. It says this, Sow for yourselves righteousness. Reap the fruit of unfailing love and break up your unplowed ground. For it is time to seek the Lord until he comes and showers his righteousness on you. This is at the, at the heart um, of, of, of what I'm seeking to do. I haven't actually shared what I'm doing. Um, I'm going to Haiti. Uh, I think you knew that. But, um, and this is partly why I'm speaking this morning, is sharing that throughout May, the month of May, I'm going to spend a month in Haiti. And, uh, and while I have responsibilities here and I work here, this is, this is a time that I know God has wanted me to set apart for him. And, and this verse in Hosea is, is, is really what I'm seeking to do. I, I recognise what has to take place in Haiti. It's those strongholds that have to be broken. But I don't know how to do it. I recognise that I need God to show me the way. And when you think... You know, God is a God that reveals a strategy and shows you how to do it. It's these three things of, of carrying a cross, remaining and, and being a priest before God that I have to go with and how we each have to live if we are to bear fruit. But really, I know that God is calling me as an entry point um, is our project uh, of building a hospital in that place. But I'm going to break up unplowed ground. That's what he's calling me to do. And the only thing I know to do now is to seek him until he comes. And that's what I'm going to do. I'm not going to continue building the hospital and to be involved in the project. I'm not going to go into villages and proclaim Christ. People are doing that. I'm going to seek God until he reveals a strategy until he shows me the way forward in order to deal with the spiritual strongholds and the giants of that land and to destroy them. And the prayer for us all is God, and this is at the heart of what it means to be a minister before him, is where there is hardness of my heart, would you, would you break it up? Um, where there's unplowed ground in me, would you soften it? Or would you make it able to bear fruit? We must have open hearts in order to bear fruit. We must have soft, open hearts to God in order to be fruit-bearing people. So my prayer is, is break up the unplowed ground in me and break up the unplowed ground in each one of us so I can go in and break up the unplowed ground in the land of Haiti. A hard land, a dark land that needs freedom. Um, I want to do a, a couple of things. Um, I know I've talked about quite a lot of things. I've talked about calling and the specific calling upon me, but, but there is calling over you. 
I've spoken about being open and our hearts being open before God to do, to put first what is first. I've also shared that cry that I need you to be with me. Um, Rick, can I ask you to, to come up? And we're just going to pray together. God, God is a God who is able. God can make a way for each one of us. I wonder if, if together we can we could just bow our heads. The first thing I want to do, and I need you to, to hear my heart, I suppose. Just, just open yourself before God and say, Lord, can, can we do this together? This thing about being the distinct church, a church that walks in destiny, a church that knows it's calling to be a redemptive people. And it's about this particular work in Haiti, but it's also about what God is calling us to do together as a church in, in every sphere, in, in a lot of the work that we're doing. Are we, are we together in this? And actually, uh, I'm after a response here, and it is... If you're in a place where you can say, I'm going to... I'm going to go with this. I'm going to stand together as the church in sending me to Haiti and walking together as a church together in this to take a stand together. I'd like to ask you to stand up. to lift your hands to God or to just open your hearts to him and to ask God for his mercy to ask God for his leading to ask God to show us the way forward cannot run from your presence you are with us you are for us Lord we can overcome Lord I pray would you help us to stand as your body would you help us to stand as your people to carry the calling over your church to walk in destiny and to do the things you are calling us to do Lord, I thank you for a people that are willing to stand together 
thank you for a people who will walk together. Lord, we must not fear. Lord, give us faith for the battle. And also, if, if there are people here who know that there is a calling and they're yet to walk in it, if there's, and, and we all have a calling, you may not know it yet and it, you must seek God for it but if there is a calling and you're not walking in it and you're not bearing fruit in it um, I'd like to ask you to, to come forward so the ministry team can pray for you afterwards uh, perhaps if you come forward as we, as we sing this song together If you have any questions or you're after more information about Bromley Town Church, do visit our website www.bromleytownchurch.com.